What's up, everybody? This is the Grunge Bible Podcast. My name is Ethan Shalloway. I'm joined by Chris Salona. And we are back for another episode, episode 121. And we are excited to be here. Happy to have you guys all here listening. And we start the show off by asking how we're doing. So, Chris, how are you doing, man? How am I doing? Uh, Well, it's good to be here regardless of how I'm doing. I think we need to get that out of the way first and foremost. It's good to be with all of you listening. Um, I don't really know how I'm doing today. Um, I was really busy yesterday and today was really busy. Had some annoying shit go down earlier in the morning that just kind of like threw the whole day off. But, um, you know, that's just kind of what happens sometimes and it all evens out in the end. I also uh, yesterday I broke my blender bottle, so I got to get a new one. The top fell, fell off. So um, you know, that's just a, a comedy of errors along, along the path, but I'm doing all right. I really can't complain about too much. It's time to podcast, right? How are you? Yeah, I hear you. I'm doing well, uh, coming off the heels of the U S championship. Yes. And, uh, you know, it went well for the people that are following along and listening. Um, I finished fifth in the U S, uh, which is great. My highest finish ever. But the performance was a little lacking. I wanted to. I needed to be one more person to be in the spot that I wanted to be to make the world championship team or have a chance. So I was kind of indifferent, kind of caught like, you know, I should be happy, but I'm not. So I was. I was in the in between for a little bit, and it's a you kind of confused on what to feel. So I wasn't like incredibly upset because I performed well. I felt worse at meets. You know, I felt worse after certain meets in the past. So. I felt accomplished, but I, you know, there's, you're always left wanting more. So, um, thank you everybody that was, uh, following along and, and cheered me on and gave me support. That was really helpful, but, um, we have to, you know, move on and there are more opportunities ahead. So I'm excited for what's next and everything. It's been a really, really good year and fun year. So, and there's still more season. Um, but yeah, it was, you know, it was good. It was a good meet. Yeah, I think uh, satisfaction is a very difficult thing to achieve uh, in high-level athletics, and and I think really in anything that has no defined endpoint, um, because there's no limit to your athletic performance, there's no limit to the quality of art that you can make, there's no limit to a lot of these things. So it's I think it's hard to get to a point where it's like, wow, like I really feel like I'm I'm here. You know, there's always more to do, and I, I it's a double-edged sword because I think that's part of what makes elite level athletes such as yourself successful because you have to have that desire to keep moving forward. Um, and I think, you know, that's on full display here. It's like one of those things you get to a point where you're not satisfied with a certain performance, you know, like, like USA's, but you look back and it's like, it's so much better than, than previous performances at that stage. So, you know, there's progress to be had, but satisfaction is uh, tough, tough to get your hands on. Absolutely. It's in an event that requires like peak performance and the numbers of the numbers, like you can always compare, you know, the meets directly to each yeah, other. There's like objectivity in this sport for sure. Yeah. So I talk about, it's like, it's really difficult to be completely happy when it's not your best throw of all time. Right. You know I mean, you're not in the, yeah. in the best, best position ever. And, um, that can be difficult to, you know, difficult comparisons to be had. So, um, it's all good. You know, I'm, I'm, I am really happy with uh, a lot of things, so. Can't be upset. Can't be too upset, I guess, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, and I think you're you've always been really good at framing that. I mean, you're a you're an eternal uh, positivist, if you will, which is uh, <laughs> you know, and you need that to boo you in times when you know things maybe aren't so great. But you're on the path. We're getting better all the time, and um, you know, you've got skin in the game, which is the most important thing. Yeah, 
I dabbled in pacifism once. <laughs> Not nom, of Not course. Not nom, of course. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so today we have another great episode that we are going to kind of, off the heels of our last episode where we recapped the movie singles, we're going to go into the soundtrack here and kind of maybe go song by song, kind of an overview of uh, some of the stories and some of the impact that the actual soundtrack had on the scene and what came out of it. And because it really is an awesome, there's a lot of really great songs that are played throughout the movie. And, uh, you know, maybe we, last week we spent too much time on, you know, the Matt Dillons of the, <laughs> of the generation. <laughs> there's a lot of Matt and, Dillons out there. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So uh, we want to give the due, uh, give the songs and the album its due. So that's what we're going to be discussing today. Yeah. And, and I think um, based off of last week's episode, you know, we were chatting with different people that reached out to us and, and gave their opinions um, on the movie singles. It seems like pretty unequivocally everyone's favorite part about this movie is the soundtrack. So there's no better time than now to serve up a nice singles double shot here. So back to back weeks, we're going to be hitting the singles. Um, before we get into that, we do have some people to thank, but before I thank them, um, I do want to mention, so this episode comes out on July 17th and, um, this is a, this is a pretty uh, significant week, uh, because July 20th is, uh, the anniversary of Chris Cornell's birth. So his birthday is July 20th. He was born in 1964, so he would be 59 years old this week. Um, and then additionally, on July 20th, 2017, um, that was the day that Chester Bennington passed away. So important to mark these days on the calendar, um, you know, and, and listen to these guys' music. We, we talk about it all the time. And, um, you know, this is an especially important week to, you know, stay connected to their music and, and, and to reconnect maybe in some instances if you haven't spent time with them. So uh, I wanted to mention Chris and Chester uh, on this week's episode. Absolutely. Thank you for doing that, Chris. It's always good to Absolutely. have those have those dates in mind. So. If there's one thing you can count on me for, it's knowing the dates. I, I yep. got them all. I got them all up here. I don't, you know, they're just in there. So what do you say? What do you say we thank some people now, Ethan? Yeah, there's a lot of people to be thanked. And uh, as usual, um, we have our top level patrons that we're going to uh, thank. But I also do want to thank the uh, first two levels, the two and five dollar levels, because they're important too. They, they are, you know, the masses and the people that, you know, it's it's always better to have a bunch of supporters versus you know putting all the weight on one or two people. So absolutely, um, all all those first tier, first two tier supporters, thank you so much for um, just giving a little bit, giving what you got. You know, we were really, yeah, we really couldn't do it without all of the support. So. Mm -hmm. Um, special shout out to you guys before Chris gives off the uh, top tier, yeah. which we're very thankful for them as well. All told in the Patreon sphere for Grunge Bible, there's 51 people at this time uh, who are choosing to support us. And, uh, you know, each and every one of those 51 uh, are important and, and they make this they make this possible. So um, I do have a special note. Um, so last week, if you remember, uh, we gave a very sincere and rousing call to arms uh, for people to support this show and, you know, get a little bit of skin in the game. And it seems like somebody was inspired, uh, somebody who was already a longtime Patreon supporter at the $5 level has kicked their game up to the $10 level, joining the top tier, top of the totem pole. So I'd like to thank Julie Van Siever for uh, for their support. Uh, we're moving on up. Uh, Julie is now a member of the $10 tier. So Julie joins a very, very esteemed list of individuals uh, who I will thank at this time. I would like to thank What the Fuck's Up Denny's, Sherry Matthews, Seattle 4 fanboy from New Jersey, 
Rachel Corning, Keith White, Chris LSMS, Laura Nyreen, Millie, Nikki Six, Carlene Salona, Jamie Lynn, Jade Mercado, Granny Grunge, Fox Soup, Eddie Vedder got me through my second divorce, Epona, Eric R. Berry, Faith Bittner, Fresh Tendonitis, Doug Endy, Corden Stewart, Kara Kay, Captain Hightop, Black Hole Sean, The Blue Owl, and Brother Nature. So thank you, one and all. Ethan, I have to say, since we upgraded this mic, it's tough. This 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 microphone's in the field of vision. You got to like pick which side, you know, based off what side of the page I'm on. But, you know, yeah. we, we do our best over here. Uh, this is a good problem to have, though. And special thanks to Doug Endy uh, once again for his support uh, in making this um, equipment upgrade very possible with his uh, generous donation to the cause. Yeah, it's interesting. If you're watching on YouTube, you see Chris and I have two different uh, styles here. Chris goes with the uh, completely horizontal mic, and I have mine a little bit below pointing upward. And uh, I wonder which Drew prefers, or if you have. Yeah, any, I don't know. Uh, like, if there's one thing, if there's one thing that, that that you know about us by now, it's that we don't know anything about any of this shit. So, <laughs> but like, chances are, Ethan, one of us is probably correct, and one of us is incorrect. Um, or I'm we're sure both, an or both wrong. What if it's supposed to come down from the top? <laughs> industry standards got to be out there. Yeah, I'm just gonna like bolt something into my ceiling, and it's just gonna like drop right in front of me. <laughs> yeah, like I'm like reverse bobbing top. for apples. Yeah. <laughs> oh my hey, gosh. Hey, the sound the sounds great. So that's the most important thing, right? Absolutely. Yep. And we have some uh, tripods coming in, so we are gonna be upping yeah, our video game. Yeah. We've been trying. We've uh, had some difficulty. We might have to upgrade uh, the how we send video, like large form videos over because we yeah. transfer is just not getting the yeah. job done. We transfer, we transfer is definitely not going to be are on sucking. the Patreon list. Yeah. Yeah. We've been giving them money for like two years now. And I, I, you know, if we can change to something else, I think we're pretty much ready for it. So yeah. 1000%. So yeah, I think, I think that's, that's, that's coming in due time, but uh, what's here currently, we got a little bit of singles talk as we said. So what do you say, Ethan Shalloway, that we get into this thing? Yeah, let's do it. Where do you want to start? Well, uh, we should start with the uh, the date uh, that the soundtrack came out. And the soundtrack was released on June 30th, 1992. And the important caveat here, I don't know if this is industry standard. I would assume not. The soundtrack was released three months before the film came out. The film came out in September of 1992. Um, so that's... That's that seems a little unique to me. You know, they got they got the soundtrack out there, like you know, because by the time 1992 it's like rolled a trailer. around, yeah, like by the time by the time it's 92 rolled around, like, up. yeah, we're in the summer and like grunge has like already reached its apex, basically. You know, because never mind, ten bad motor finger, the likes, you know, they've already come out into the world. So I think this was a uh, a strategic play to kind of latch onto that and, and, you know, get some more dollars in the pockets of the, uh, the fine individuals over at Epic who put this soundtrack out. Uh, and it, and it certainly worked out. Um, it's been certified two times platinum. Um, and there's a lot of interesting things, you know, when it comes to the, the, the background of this soundtrack, um, and as it relates to the movie. So, um, the movie was actually shot and it was for all intents and purposes finished uh, by mid-1991, uh, but it didn't come out until September of 1992. So I think the public's perception of what was going on in Seattle was vastly different in maybe June of 1991 versus the following year in June of 1992. I mean, Teen Spirit hadn't come out and it wasn't all over the place on MTV. Uh, 10, a lot of these albums hadn't come out and they hadn't really 
taken their place in the public consciousness. So um, it's really kind of interesting to compare and contrast um, and, you know, see what songs they chose um, and what artists they had involved. So um, as we'll go through the soundtrack, um, there's a, you know, it's got, it's got a lot of great players from Seattle. It's got a lot of people, you know, that aren't from Seattle that were an important part of that era as well. Um, but most notably, there's no Nirvana on here. Nirvana is nowhere to be found. Um, And that's really interesting because Nirvana was, you know, they were the biggest game in town by the time 1992 came around, certainly by the time the summer came around. Um, And at the time, uh, Warner Brothers, who put this movie out, they really, really wanted Nirvana to be involved, obviously, because it's, you know, it's a big cash cow. There's a lot of money on the line. Um, And Warner Brothers actually was pressuring Cameron Crowe to change the name of the movie from Singles to Come As You Are. Uh, and that obviously did not go down. Um, and even if it had gone down, uh, by this time Nirvana had become, you know, so wildly popular and just omnipresent all over the place. Um, it was going to be very expensive for Warner Brothers uh, to get Nirvana into the movie. Um, so citing that, and then in addition, uh, Kurt Cobain shot the idea down out of hand without even asking the other guys in the band. Uh, he just he just didn't want to be a part of it. He didn't want to do the whole movie thing. So um, Nirvana is not here on this soundtrack, but there's a lot of really great artists that are. Um, and, and it's interesting, you know, if this movie had happened later, uh, a year later, two years later, uh, I think there might have been some, you know, some artists on here that maybe signed on that maybe didn't sign on or there would have been different artists on here. But it's really interesting because there's 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 some artists that are involved in the soundtrack that didn't didn't really uh, jive with the movie and didn't really, uh, you know, hold much credence to being on the soundtrack. But it was just just something that you did. It's something that the record label told you you had to do. So um most notably, uh, Billy Corgan uh, of Smashing Pumpkins, Drown is on here. Uh, he was none too pleased about what happened afterwards. And we'll get into that once we get into uh, some of the songs. Um, I actually have some some good passages from Mark Lanigan's memoir about his singles experience that we'll get into. But Ethan, yeah. how about as we do on the Grunge Bible podcast, we can start and just kind of work through these songs. Yeah, I'm down with that. And the first one's an easy one, one that we've talked about a ton. And uh <laughs> To no surprise, Wood is on here. One of our favorite, our Who's favorite that grunge song of all time. I'm, uh, I'm not sure. Someone uh, by the name of uh, Jerry Lane, Cantrell. Lane Stanley. Lane Stanley. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Allison Chains uh, opening track. You know, love that. Love that for the band. Um, obviously, they play this. They're playing this in the uh, in the movie at one point. Right. And um, I think it was that was the only time that it was played. Right. It wasn't. It wasn't like an actual overlay on the video yeah so it was it was that live performance there in the movie and there was no situations where you know some of the you know the protagonists were in the car like listening to the radio and 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 this was on it was exclusively present in the movie um as that live performance when they were at that club listening to chains lay it down Uh, and they also had that savage performance of it ain't like that uh which uh interestingly enough is not on the soundtrack but you know if you're swinging for the fences you got to put wood on there and and they certainly obliged and it does uh it ain't like that comes up on the deluxe edition and there's a lot of songs that they include the live recordings for um, the stuff that was done live so right uh, it ain't like that and uh birth ritual the live performances and uh it's kind of interesting because yeah there's songs on there's like a big uh, two LP, you know, CD box or whatever that has some extra stuff in there, which is pretty cool. So it's still on there, which is which is mm-hmm. nice. Just twenty five um, years later, yeah. 
And there's, uh, you know, also songs that were played that were uh, not included in any of that stuff throughout the movie that uh, we can talk about later. Yeah, thousand percent. Yeah, so, this one's this one's great. I mean, obviously, happy to have it. What else can you say about it? That, <laughs> yeah, that's what, the best what, part. what are we gonna say, Ethan? We've we've put ourselves in a position where like we never we never really have to talk about Alice in Chains if if we don't really want to, just because it's so uh, synonymous. I think with the stupid bullshit that we do here. Yeah, everybody knows our thoughts if they know anything about us. Um, and the second song is Breath from Pearl Jam. Uh, which if you listen to last week's episode, you know my thoughts about it. I thought this was one of the standouts. Uh, it was present um, a couple of times uh, throughout the movie. Um, and interestingly enough, you know, this one wasn't on 10. This wasn't on the debut album. This was, uh, you know, this was one that was recorded in the sessions and it was it was put out um, on this single soundtrack. But I, I think I think Breath is is such a perfect encapsulation of of that era of Pearl Jam. Um, and it, they just had this very distinct sound in 1991, 1992 that, um, you know, they progressed away from. But, you know, if you're going to make a if you're going to make a film and you're going to make a soundtrack that in a lot of ways serves as a microcosm of what was going on at the time, I think Breath is a really, really fantastic song to have on there. Yeah, absolutely. And I, is this the only uh, Pearl Jam song on the on the soundtrack, yes. Uh, no, State yeah. of Love and Trust as well. And State of Love and Trust, yeah. of course. Which, you yeah, know, both, th neither of them were on 10. Yeah. Yeah, and they're both obviously really awesome songs. I mean, yeah. State of Love and... I mean, I'm sorry. Breath has just like such a beautiful guitar, you know, rhythm. And then the drums are so early Pearl Jam. Like, ah, I, I really so, do like that song too. It's just the floating drums that you that. feel on the early versions of Alive too. It's the same thing. You just, you just start yep. rolling with it. It's like you, this song has such a momentum to it. It starts, everything kicks in. And once those drums, you're just rolling down, you're rolling down yeah. the road. It's a really, really great song. It's got some great lyrics in there too. Um, I love that part where it's, uh, I suggest you step out on your porch, uh, run away, my son, see it all, oh, see the world. Um, and that's like the spirit of Pearl Jam, I think, in 1991, 1992. Um, and there's a great Eddie Vedder quote that I always think about when I think about that era and I think about these songs specifically. Um, and he, he was he, in an interview once he said, you know, he's like, the one thing about going from the audience to the stage in just a year and a half is that you know how it feels to be down there. Uh, and I think that's... Mm -hmm. Um, you know, that, that, and like the stick man alive figure, those are just, those immediately come to mind when I think of, uh, you know, early Pearl Jam, Mookie Blaylock type stuff. So, um, fantastic song to have on here. Yeah. Great choice. Really. I mean, it, it serves, serves the, the movie really well. So mm -hmm. yeah, it's great to be on the soundtrack. Yeah, it is. Um, let's see. Next song. The seasons zone. We're getting into some seasons here. Yes. I mean, this song is, is beautiful. There's some really great, obviously, performance, studio performance by uh, Cornell that he has. And um, I'm really glad that he took this, you know, this tape and made it into what it is because it, it really, it's a special song. With, it's so dynamic. I mean, the guitar part is like, you know, not to be overlooked. I mean, it's really beautiful. Yeah. Um, it's just one of those songs that I can, you can go back and listen to it and I just... It's one of my favorite Cornell arrangements for sure. Yeah, and, and I love the story that we spoke about last week. Uh, you know, Chris had had seen this. This essentially it was a stage prop, the the, the Poncier tapes, and there was just a bunch of random names on there. Most notably, Seasons and Spoonman as well. And he was so inspired by them that he decided to go home and and write songs uh, that were titled uh, 
after the titles that are on the Poncier tapes. And this one, Cameron Crowe got his hands on it and, and loved, loved this song so much that he decided to include it pretty prominently in the movie. Once again, I think this one is, is in the movie in a few different places. Um, and it's cool, you know, people, people shit on the movie and the plot and everything and the acting. But I mean, if, 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 if we had to go through that, uh, that ordeal to get songs like this, it's totally worth it because, you know, these are some of Chris Cornell's, um, you know, some of his best works and uh, the fact that it's here um, is really, really special and really perfect. You know, Chris hadn't hadn't released any solo stuff by this time. You know, it was it was Soundgarden and Temple of the Dog. So uh, for Seasons to be the first kind of foray into that, um, what a good place to start. Yeah. And like you said, they, they released this three months before. And um, yeah, I'm just thinking about how genius that was because it probably drummed up a ton of and, you know, the impact of the soundtrack and the movie, I mean, it really got the name out for a lot of these bands. Right. And um, it's interesting to think about the impact and what it would be. And, you know, my mind starts thinking, like, what, what would be the a good comparison to today? Like, there, if you have a group of people, bands that are on the cusp and they come together and make this, you know, powerhouse soundtrack specifically for a movie that is supposed to capture, like, could be L.A., could be Nashville or, you know, the music scene that's going right. on. Um, and it would be, it would be really cool to see like what today's day and age would be like, what, what, what scene do you think would fit this? Oh man, like, I, I don't know. I feel like the modern day equivalent would be a musician or a band would cut a song and initially release it as like a sound that you could create reels to on TikTok. Um, and then it just like, <laughs> it just like goes off it just, and they're like, Oh, like where's the full song? And it's like, I'm so glad you asked. It's coming out in a couple of months. Um, I feel like that's like, uh, that's like the modern day equivalent of it. Um, and it's interesting because there are a few songs on here that this is the first time they were released. Um, and, and we'll get to it in a little bit, but, um, uh, nearly lost you by the trees. Uh, and we'll get into what Lanigan had to say about that uh, a little later on when we get to the song. Um, but you know, it was the first time they went out, you know, Sweet Oblivion hadn't come out and, um, you know, the full album, the dirt album hadn't come out by the time the soundtrack was out. So there's a few of them that, you know, they're, they're, they're stretching their sea legs here on the single soundtrack. And, um, it was a, uh, it was a rather lucrative, uh, lucrative venture. And it got a lot of people, um, you know, a lot of these other bands, um, you know, maybe this was the first time that they had heard, um, certainly Chris Cornell solo, or maybe it was the first time they heard a trees song, or maybe it was the first time they had, uh, become acquainted, acquainted with mother love bone, which we'll get to in a little bit. Um, before we get to mother love bone, there's a few that we have to get to. Um, I know you, you loved this one last week when we were talking about it. You're a big, uh, dyslexic heart guy, Ethan, huh? Oh yeah, uh, I I just Paul Westerberg. I, he's uh, the replacement was a part of the replacements and uh, had a couple other solo stuff and uh, I just you know his voice is just great um, and for some reason it's just to me it's it really is a soundtrack song like there's songs yeah. that fit movies and fit like you know people's lives and what's going on you know it's like that meme that I sent you the other day it's like I don't know what's going on. In my, I don't know what's going on in my life. I'm just in charge of the music. <laughs> and like, this is a perfect example. It's just, it just, it fits the times. And uh, I'm glad that they included uh, two songs by him. It just, um, yeah, the sound and it just, it just fits really well. So happy yeah. that it, happy that it's on there. Yeah. Yeah, it, it, it's a perfect soundtrack song, and and, and I think a, not a, from it, Seattle, but it's all right. No, but that's okay. You know, we'll 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 can't all be from there. Yeah, they can't all be from. I mean, we're not from Seattle, so 
Um, yeah, we, we could uh, lie and say not. that we were, but we should have done that. About as far as you can be from Seattle. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. So we've got a, another uh, another Seattle entry. We're going to get back to some Seattle. So uh, the the fifth song on this soundtrack is a cover, a cover of a Led Zeppelin song, uh, The Battle of Evermore. And, and Zeppelin's version is a really, really great duet between Robert Plant and Sandy Denny of uh, Fairport Convention fame. Uh, and Sandy Denny solo uh, and Fairport Convention, really, really cool stuff that they did in the '70s. But this one um, is, uh, you know, it's it's by a, a it's by the Lovemongers, which was a uh, kind of a, a tributary or an offshoot of Heart, uh, which notably has Anne and Nancy Wilson. And I didn't know this when we did the episode last week, Ethan. But at the time, Nancy Wilson was married to Cameron Crowe. Um, so this one mm. makes perfect sense. And, and Hart obviously being one of the notable acts of, you know, of years past from that area. Um, it's good that they were good that they were involved here. I have to say, though, I, I, I don't much like this uh, this cover version of uh, the Battle no? of Evermore. No, I used to be a big Zeppelin guy. Um, I used to really get into some Zeppelin. I don't really get into them too much anymore. But um, Sandy Denny was an incredible, incredible vocalist. Um, there's a really great solo version of her singing uh, Who Knows Where the Time Goes, uh, which was yeah. also released with Fairport Convention with the full band. But, um, you know, this one, because of the connection, you know, because of who's doing the singing here, who's doing the playing, uh, it's a good one to be on the soundtrack. But this one doesn't, doesn't really do much for me. Yeah, I mean, it's hard to cover Zeppelin. There's bands that are, you know, make it really difficult. But um, I, thought it, pretty, I thought it was pretty... <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Yeah, see what, <laughs> see what kind of response you get. I mean, and it doesn't matter how, you know, 70s your voice can sound or whatever. It's it's going to be tough to compare. So, but I, I thought they did a good job. I like it. I mean, I, it's an interesting choice for sure. Like the cover that is when you when you talk about the background, how it's how it's connected, that makes more sense. But um, I was, I mean, yeah, I was a little surprised, but pretty solid in my books, but it's all solid. You know, it's problematic because I'm definitely judging it against its peers that are also on this soundtrack. And uh, and it's just, this is just absolute powerhouse of a soundtrack. Obviously, like we said, it's, I think it's most people's favorite thing about this film uh, would be the soundtrack. And that continues on when we get to this next track, which is the sixth version or the sixth song on the soundtrack, which is Chloe Dancer, Crown of Thorns from Mother Love Bone. And obviously, you know, this was, uh, this soundtrack was released a couple of years after Andrew Wood had passed away. Um, and this song, I think, really provides um, a good bit of uh, emotional weight to uh, to the soundtrack. Um, and particularly, I think, when it was played during the movie um, and just obviously with Andrew Wood no longer being alive at this time, it, was a, it served as a good tribute um, and also a good introduction to uh, a band that maybe not many people had known of because, you know, by this time it was Pearl Jam. It wasn't, uh, you know, former members of Mother Love Bone and Green River. It was it was Pearl Jam. Uh, and Cameron Crowe uh, in 1992 uh, was talking with Rolling Stone and he actually uh, discussed um, the choice to use this song here. Um, and he said, you know, as it relates to the film and, and the inclusion of this song, he said, I wanted to write something that captured the feeling in that room, not Andy's story, but the story of how people instinctively need to be together. Is anybody truly single? Mother Love Bones hybrid track, Chloe Dancer, Crown of Thorns provided the film and soundtrack with a hefty emotional punch, but also introduced some history to new Pearl Jam fans like myself. Um, and, and that is why I think it's so special that this is on here because it is a history lesson um, and it is a look towards the past. 
um, you know, when the future was so bright and the future was so big at the time with Pearl Jam, you know, taking flight uh, in 1991 and in 1992 when the soundtrack was released. But um, this one, it just feels right to be on here. And I think you can't think about Seattle and what was going on musically there without mentioning Andrew Wood and without giving him his due. So I'm glad that it was given here. Is anyone truly single? <laughs> That's a big one. That's, that Ethan, is, we're I mean, we're that, recording this in the morning. This is too philosophical of a question. So what, what do you think? Yeah. Is, is anyone truly single? Gonna, that got me thinking. I mean, uh, I guess, I mean, I was, I'm inclined to say no, you know, like when yeah. you talk about it, I mean, and, you know, not to get too deep, but I'm thinking like, <laughs> I it. mean, both me, you and I, you and I are both single as far as like romantic, <laughs> right. romantic relationships Absolutely. go. Been that way for but, a bit. But at the same time, like, you know, we're in a relationship. <laughs> you know what I mean? Well, it depends like what I type mean, of relationship we are we talking about? I mean, we provide emotional support. We provide, yeah. you know, uh, you know, business support. Like, you know what I mean? Like we're in an endeavor together. Like we talk very closely, like, yeah. I mean, and you know, I don't, yeah, I mean, we need it. You know what I mean? Like you need yeah. have relationships like that. And um, yeah, is anyone truly single? Well, <laughs> I, I, I think of, I think of that question the same way, the same debate that revolves around the tenet of being a self-made man. Um, because like, there's nobody who's truly self-made. <laughs> I mean, everybody's, everybody's got support from other people. Everybody's receiving assistance, whether they know it or not. So I've never maybe, heard of that, that paradox, the self-made uh, well, I mean, man. It just came to my mind now that everyone's like, oh, I'm self-made. I pulled myself up by my bootstraps and I did everything on my own. No, no, you didn't. Nobody does anything on their own. Um, yeah. we all get by with a little help from our friends as, as some wise men have said throughout the ages. Um, so I yeah. guess, you know, if there's a parallel here, I guess nobody really is truly single. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that's 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 really interesting. Yeah, more yeah. on that in the more ep later episodes. We'll <laughs> yeah, bring, well, we're gonna bring Drew in for that one. Yeah, Drew, th this is right in Drew's wheelhouse. We'll have to get him on there for that. Um, but a song that's right in our wheelhouse is the next one, and that's the Mighty Birth Ritual, which is included uh, a live performance of this. Um, is is uh, present in the film and a really interesting song I think to choose uh, from Soundgarden. Yeah. You know, it's not a bad Motor Finger song. Um, but, you know, we're going back to the 80s. But I think this one is just perfect because it just gives Chris Cornell the opportunity to show off. Uh, and anytime On stage. On exactly. stage, you know, shirtless Chris. I mean, I don't think the guy wore a shirt to play live until like 1994. So, uh, you know, that was fine by me. You know, he was a fantastic looking man. He had the, the long hair. You know, he hadn't he hadn't cut it all, all off yet. That was still a couple of years away. Um, you know, and just the mighty sound garden on display. And he just hits that really high ritual part. That's so good. I love it. And yeah, and as as far as depicting like Alice and Soundgarden on stage, they picked the perfect songs for it. Yeah. For that time, and like I mean, it just it carries you know throughout the years really well because that's exactly how people they remember they're remembered from those times. And yeah, I love and, it. And in a lot of these those songs that were performed live by Soundgarden and Alice, I, I think they were great because all of these songs in Birth Ritual too, it, it gave each individual member in the band an opportunity <laughs> to shine. You know, they're all playing together uh, and they all have really really awesome parts on these songs. And Birth Ritual is no different. Did I mean, you? I, I, it sounded like you said birth control. Did you? I did not say birth control. No. I mean, not the last one, but the one right before. I thought you said. I think maybe, maybe it was birth a Freudian control. slip. I don't know. <laughs> we'll have to. We'll have to, roll the have to tape check back. The, we'll have to check the tapes. Yeah. 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 We'll check. Oh we'll, go to, we'll go to the review booth. I'll, I'll use. You'll, are you going to use one of your challenges? <laughs> 
Yeah, I'm going to use birth control. That leads into nearly lost to right. you. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah. right? That's a little later on. Maybe that would have been good. It's just like the pregnancy scare scene and just birth rituals just blasting over the top of it. Was that, this was this close to that scene? No, maybe, this was, birth ritual was fairly early on in the film. I mean, I thought maybe it was like half. I mean, the, the baby part or the pregnancy part was about halfway through, I thought. But it was a little later than that, I think. But yeah, I don't yeah. I think there was a, there was a is, you know, there was a little bit in between a lot of yeah, a lot of really hard hitting plot in between these two songs. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure that it was ch- it was chosen with that in mind, of course. But yeah. it really like I mean, just knowing that I mean, Chris in like this high, the high frequency that he sings that the entire song is is crazy. Mm-hmm. Like this is one of those songs where he he pretty much goes the whole song and doing it. Hundred percent. Yeah, it's just vintage Cornell, you know, like beyond the wheel type shit. Uh, and it's yeah, just like, all right, here right. I am. I'm going to do my thing, and you guys are just going to be in awe of it the whole time. Uh, and we certainly were. Next song, "State of Love and Trust." Oh yeah. And uh, obviously, this is one of the probably one of the one of the better unplugged songs that uh, Pearl Jam has performed. Yeah, or, uh, had performed. So this one's. I mean, this one is one of my favorite. I mean, I say that all this fucking time, but like, (laughs) (laughs) Hey, you can say it it can be true, you know, (laughs) it can be true. Yeah. I mean, um, it, you know, it's groovy. It's got a lot of, uh, energy to it for like, it's, I mean, it's right in the sweet spot. It's the Pearl Jam sweet spot, you know, it's just so good. Yeah. And and that young, that young energy, but also kind of like, you know, wanting, it's always like the wanting more, the desperation that he sings with and, and these songs that make it totally. so good. Yeah. And this is, this one's great too, because this in breath, I mean, they're early live staples uh, with yeah. that like feral energy that Ed had back then uh, performing. And in this one, there's so many good performances of it playing this. I mean, because at the time they didn't have many songs. So it's like, you know, if, if Pearl Jam had had a song at the time and you went to see them live, like they were going to play it. Um, and it's interesting yeah. back to, back to breath earlier. Um, they played it a lot early on and they didn't play it for something like 10 or 12 years and there was a really really big fan campaign like the breath campaign to get the band to play the song live again uh and i think it was maybe after the early 90s like 93 94 so like it wasn't until like i want to say 02 or 03 that they played it live again um so it's really Mm -hmm. interesting but you know back then you know if you saw pearl jam you were going to get state of love and trust uh and it was going to be great um and then this one, like we said before, it wasn't on 10. So there's nothing from 10. Uh, there's nothing from Bad Motor Finger on here, but the songs make sense. Uh, really, really good choices here. Yeah. Um, and now we get into the real grunge. The real grunge. There's only one real grunge only... song on this soundtrack. I mean, it's 13 songs and, and there's only one. And that is Mud Hutting with Overblown. And I just want to point out one of the lyrics that just shows you why it's it's just beautiful and it's just couldn't hold a regular job long live rock and roll and you know long live rock and roll thank god thank god for rock for these guys and everybody yeah. um just just mud honey just chaos just just beautiful chaos the whole time yeah gotta love it I have to say, Ethan, that lyric reminds me of, do you remember we did the the chat GPT episode where we asked them to tell us jokes? And one of the jokes was like, what do you call a grunge musician um, like who's not making music? And the punchline is like, what do you call him? Homeless. <laughs> Could, yeah. couldn't, couldn't hold a regular job, you know, sometimes though. But I mean, Mudhoney's got to be here. Mark Arm, Mark Arm is a hero. He's a hero. Yeah. Absolutely. And they did a good job throwing in the shirts and the posters and stuff for these yeah, guys. I just it would have um, been fun to see Mark in the, in oh, the yeah. shots, but Yeah, absolutely. That was that was really good. I have to say, Ethan, um, it, because it's topical right now, I, I just recently picked up a ticket to see Mud Honey in October. 
uh, I'm going. Oh, uh, shit. Yeah, they're, they're playing in Boston. I'm 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 heading up there. I'm gonna I'm gonna see the show with uh, top level Patreon supporter Rachel Corning. Uh, so nice. really really fired up for that. Uh, this will be my first time seeing the mighty the mighty arm there. So um, that's gonna be good. Maybe maybe we can we can get them to play Overblown. Yeah. Uh, next on back to some Paul Westerberg. Westerberg. Ethan, wait, I'm gonna let you take the reins on this. You're a big Westerberg guy. Yeah, big, big Westerberg. <laughs> Again, I'm just gonna hammer down. I mean, this just has like the you know, he's like the uh and it, I don't know, man. It just fits movie soundtrack like, his music, vo- man. It's soundtrack movie. Yeah, like I don't I don't know how else to explain it. Like it's kind of corny. It comes on, you know, you just picture the people like walking in the streets and just like street shots, you know what I mean? It's mm-hmm. it's kind of filler, you know, it's perfect filler music. <laughs> and uh <laughs> don't let Paul don't Westerberg know, hear that. Yeah. Like it like I said, when I first started watching, I thought I was gonna get some like clerks and it's just like it's kind of a, a compilation of scenes and stuff. And it's kind of true. I mean, there's connective tissue throughout the movie, but it's also kind of like, you know, it's also kind of standalone stuff. And, you know, and this is like perfect. It just seems like this kind of, they throw it in there, it breaks up whatever's going on. And yeah, yeah, it's good stuff. I mean, long live Westerberg. Yeah. Long live. <laughs> uh, yeah. He's, he's important. You know, everybody plays their role. Um, the yeah. next he song got two on this... songs on it, so he's got to be. Exactly. You know, yeah, he's, I mean, be... he's a two timer here. I mean, I think him, him, and him and uh, the the boys from Pearl Jam there. I think they're the only two timers on there. So, um, you know that that has to be of significance there. So, um, let's move forward. Uh, uh, do you have any other final words on on the Westerberg experience? No, I'm good. No, the, the defense <laughs> rests. Okay, let's move forward. We're, we've got a couple songs left. Uh, the eleventh song on the soundtrack. Uh, we're going to one of the uh, the 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 gods of the Seattle music. Uh, not the grunge scene, but uh, but before, now, and forever. Uh, Jimi Hendrix is on here. Uh, the Jimi Hendrix Experience song, "May This Be Love." Uh, and once again, I think in the same realm that you know, if you're doing something about Seattle, especially about the early '90s, you got to have Mother Love Bone on there. Um, anything. Seattle that is in any way, shape, or form related to music. You got to have Jimmy on there. Um, interesting song selection. Uh, May This Be Love. You know, it's not one of the most popular Hendrix songs, but I think that's why it works. Um, you know, a lot of these songs on here, maybe not the band's most popular songs. You know, there's obviously a few of them uh, that I think their popularity was impacted and and came about largely because of the movie. But this is one, uh, you know, you got to have Jimmy on there. I mean, such a master of his craft. I think mm-hmm. anybody who picked up a guitar after 1967, um, you know, employs techniques and maybe even picked up a guitar because Jimi Hendrix, because of him. Uh, you know, there's a long, long lineage there. Uh, and I'm glad that it's represented here. I I love this song, man. This this song. Uh, the more I listen to it after watching and kind of getting into it, I mean, it's just it is a beautiful ballad. That it's soft. It has like just an epic guitar solo over you know this wandering drum part that pretty much is the whole rhythm to the song. Like there's not a ton of like you know backup guitar or anything like that. Like it's just it's just guitar solo over him singing a little bit and. It's dude. It's it's such a great it's it's a great song and you know it's topical. May this may this be love. You know, and yeah. obviously the whole movie is about love. So yeah, this <laughs> that song truly rocks, single. Man. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. This is a good one. I'm I'm like I'm glad they glad they included it. Um, it's really really great. Makes you want to listen to more Jimmy. Yeah, I was on. I've been on to hear those of, riff, hear those solos, man. Yeah, I've I've been riffing a, riffing to some Jimmy lately. He always comes back into the fold for some reason when I hit the summertime. Like 
some of his bluesy shit like when you're just driving going yeah. to the beach like it just it, it hits really well so uh this is a this is a good era for some hendrix it's always a good era for some hendrix always yeah so you want to move forward it's two left yep oh yeah and I'm sure that this is probably the last one that you want to talk about. Skip the last, skip the very <laughs> yeah, last. Fuck, fuck the last song. <laughs> no, this no, is, last song is good. We got some trees in here. Yeah, we do. Know? We got some trees. The famous pregnancy scene uh, in singles oh, yeah. and nearly lost. He was on there. Um, Screaming trees. Uh, this was their. Uh, the, this was uh, nearly lost. You's first release. Uh, Sweet Oblivion had not come out yet. And um, Ethan. There's something you know about me uh, as it relates to just my general temperament, but also my temperament towards this podcast is any chance I have to settle a score, I'm going to take it. So if you remember, and if you've listened for a long time, we were in the habit of reading reviews. Uh, and once we got a very scathing review about the podcast uh, in the Apple reviews, um, and somebody was just bagging on us for Wikipedia. Apparently all we do over here is read Wikipedia. Well, you know what? <laughs> I say fuck that because I have some primary source material here. I have there Mark Lanigan's memoir, Sing Backwards and Weep. And uh, Ethan, if you'll indulge me, I would love to read a little bit about this um, and, and provide some background as to how Nearly Lost You was involved and what Lanigan thought about it. Of course, Chris. This is honest. These excerpts that we can read, lyrics and any type of stuff is going to be way better than anything that we can say. So please... Give us, give us the goods, Chris. Absolutely. So they had finished cutting Sweet Oblivion, uh, and I'm just going to go right to the book here. Um, and um, so here we go. Back in Seattle, I got a frantic call from Bob Pfeiffer. You have to take a cassette of Nearly Lost You to a hotel downtown and give it to Pearl Jam's A&R guy, Michael Goldstone, right now. What the fuck for? What's he got to do with us? Bob went on to explain that Sony was putting out the soundtrack to a movie called Singles based on the Seattle music scene and quote, every Seattle band is on it, but you guys who gives a fuck. That sounds incredibly lame to me. I replied, don't you get it? They're trying to fuck us. Every Seattle band on Sony and several others, but not you. And you're a part of Sony. It's an intentional fuck over from who, Bob? I don't know, but I refuse to let it happen. Now get your ass down there with that cassette. Pissed off that I had to be the ambassador as well as a messenger boy for the band, especially for something I considered to be weak as fuck, I nonetheless walked over to the hotel not far from my apartment. I walked up to the counter and asked them to call Goldstone's room, a further humiliation because Bob had insisted, you do not leave it at the counter, you put it in his fucking hands personally. When he came down to the lobby, Goldstone smiled and introduced himself as Goldie. We shook hands and he thanked me, but then he asked, are you okay? You look like you're in a terrible mood. The idea that I had to pitch something to my own record company was sitting very poorly with me. My uncontrolled displeasure must have been written all over my face. I'll be honest with you, man. Bob seems to think we're being intentionally fucked over by someone who wants to keep us off this soundtrack, and it's something I personally couldn't give a damn about. I'm embarrassed that I'm the one that was forced to come down here hat in hand and beg for something I don't even care about. It sounds totally cheesy to me. Goldie leaned his head back and let out a loud, authentic laugh. He stuck out his hand to shake mine again and said, I appreciate your honesty, man. If someone's trying to keep you off this, I promise to not let that happen. I can see this was hard for you, but I thank you for bringing this to me. I hope we can see each other again soon. Give my best to Pfeiffer. So that's how that's how the trees got onto the soundtrack of singles there. It was an intentional fuck over job, apparently, in the eyes of Lanigan. But thankfully it didn't happen because Nearly Lost You is a great song. 
Um, and it was able to get into a lot of people's ears because of it. But it did have some ramifications on the band. Uh, and if you can see the uh, the emerging theme here, Lanigan was not too pleased about any of this. So uh, this one came out, the, the soundtrack came out, as we said, in June of 92. Uh, Sweet Oblivion was not released yet. So we're going to fast forward a little bit here uh, later on in the book here. So Lanigan goes on to say, Sweet Oblivion came out in the fall of 92, two months after the single soundtrack had been such a big deal to Pfeiffer and apparently to everyone else at Sony. Our first single, Nearly Lost You, became the only song of ours ever to make the charts, as well as the only video we ever had in MTV's regular rotation. Not only had I grudgingly gotten it included on the hugely successful soundtrack, Nearly Lost You became one of the most popular singles from it. It was a double-edged sword. Our song, in heavy rotation on MTV, spurred sales of the soundtrack, but by the time our record came out, it was already old news. I later learned that all the bands on it had also gotten hefty paydays for their tunes. Mudhoney received 20 grand for the use of their song, but we had been forced to waive our sync fee for the fucking privilege of being included at all. In other words, we'd given them a hit single for absolutely nothing. Our album went on to sell somewhere around 300,000 copies, well short of the half million sales required for a gold record. I remember reading somewhere that we were raised to peak in our record sales due to the soundtrack. I knew the reverse was true. We'd shot ourselves in the dick for the sake of the soundtrack, a soundtrack we'd helped to sell, never receiving a single penny in payment at expense of our own album. A soundtrack to a film that I had been told by friends who'd seen it was just as corny as it sounded when Pfeiffer had first told me about it. A lame and sap-filled farce of a movie. It was supposedly set in the Seattle scene, but sounded like an episode of General Hospital. An obtuse bandwagon jump if there ever was one. To me, it may well have been the Spice Girls film. Seeing a poster for it featuring actor Matt Dillon in a terrible wig was as close as I ever got to watching it. That poster, plastered all over town, told me more than I ever cared to know on the subject. Years later, while drinking together post-gig in an NYC bar, I stuck my lit cigarette into the pocket of Matt Dillon's suit jacket when his back was turned and set it on fire while I walked away. That's Holy Lanigan, man. Shit, that's, Mar that's Mark Lanigan for you. That is unreal. That's I pretty mean, good. I, I have the same thoughts with like when people release singles and multiple singles leading up to leading up to the album release. I always wonder like, because yeah, like when you said it's old news, like if you release the best few songs when an album comes out, I mean, why you know, get the you're album? Not gonna, yeah, kind of why get the album and, and you're going to get caught on those three songs or if you think the other ones aren't as good, which is usually why people pick them as singles, um, you may dismiss the rest of the album and just listen to the singles anyway. So you know, I kind of agree on that level. Like, it takes away from a, the whole album, and when you when you release them individually, so I'd be curious to hear, like, you know, the industry talk about why it's a good idea and why it really helps to drum up support. And it was different back then too, obviously, like yeah. the way singles and and music was consumed. Well, I think it's because they they really tried to hit the home run with the soundtrack, so they said fuck it to the band. But I mean, to not even pay them, I mean, that's that's yeah, tough. That doesn't make any sense. Uh, the that's classic funny. Ethan, we know this one. Oh, you're paid in the exposure that you get. Oh, exposure yeah. doesn't pay the bills. My car bills come and due on the nineteenth. I I gotta do yep. better exposure than just exposure. Doesn't put food in my mouth and, and exactly. a roof over my head. Yeah. Yeah, but nonetheless, nearly lost you is you know one of I think it's one of the quintessential songs of the era. I think it was ranked very highly on our top 100 songs. Um, I love it. Um, I, I kind of hate the fact that, uh, that you know, it kind of went down like that, being the big Mark Lanigan fan that I am. But 
uh, you know, there's nothing I had any control over. That's for damn sure. So, you know, I'll yeah. take it on, I'll take it on the single soundtrack and I'll take it on Sweet Oblivion too. All right. That brings us to our last song. The final the song. Drown by Smashing Pumpkins. And I know you'd like to probably rip on them here soon. So I'll just <laughs> say that, um, you know, this is toward the end of the movie. Was it the last track? I think they, I think the, the end, it was some Westerberg, but this yeah. is pretty close to the end. Um, and, uh, you know, Smashing Pumpkins, for what for what it's worth, I mean, they're always going to be nostalgic. They're always going to make you think of those times, and yeah. that's what this song does. I mean, looking back, it's it's a it's great to have at the end of the the movie for for what it does. It kind of if it's nostalgic to the times, it also is nostalgic to the story that we just watched unfold for you know however good the story was. But like it makes you yeah, it makes you maybe feel a little you know feel sorry or feel different for the people and stuff. So. Yeah, you know it does. It does that, so that's good. Yeah, and I love this song. I I love Gish era Pumpkins. I mean, they were doing a lot of really cool stuff. And Drown, um, I'll always say like Billy Corgan. I think his best talent is just making these really really cool guitar riffs. Um, and Drown is certainly one of them that he was able to make. Um, and I'm happy that it was included on the soundtrack. And um, Billy Corgan finds himself in a very similar camp as Mark Lanigan did, um, in terms of his dissatisfaction with his role. Uh, in this soundtrack and uh, in an interview, he had some things to say about it. Once again, this is not Wikipedia reading. I haven't read off of Wikipedia once today. So Good. Um, I just need to stick that out there. So um, he, he was being interviewed, Billy Corgan was in 2015. Um, and he was talking about his experience with singles and with the soundtrack. And he said, uh, quote, Epic were pushing the Alice in Chains' song, Wood, which is a classic. It's a great song. They were pushing that, but Drown actually started to get traction on the radio. It was actually our first song that had momentum on radio, and Epic killed the song because they didn't want to take away from Alice in Chains' song. My only revenge was when they came back 20 years later, and they asked to do the reissue of the soundtrack, and they asked for their demo, and I told them to fuck off. Slight revenge. I took money out of my own pocket, but that's the way it goes. Love it. I guess by the time I mean, 2015 came around, Billy Corgan, you know, after all of the great albums the Pumpkins put out, maybe he wasn't necessarily hurting for the money and he could, you know, stake stake his claim on the principle and draw a line in the sand, which I appreciate that. Yeah. I love drawing yeah. a line in the sand. Yeah, you got to pick the hills that you're ready to die on. Yeah, and that one. Um, so apparently Epic, revenge, Epic killed like Drown. Said. Drown would have been wood if if not for Epic Records. So interesting. I Straight mean, it definitely has an mouth. Definitely has an impact on all these songs and and how they how they perceived and whatnot. And, oh yeah, because um, a lot of it was written for the album, or people only remember it for being on the album. So, right. Good yeah, old very, Corgan. Very interesting. How would you how would you rank this album, Chris, as a whole compared to like? I mean, do you consider it like? I mean, it is a grunge record. So where do you where would you rank this in? <laughs> Um, comparison to you know full length albums by bands and stuff when you have um, a compilation. I like this. in good conscience can't even do that because it's a soundtrack album and I don't really like personally, Ethan. Like I, I don't give a shit about the single soundtrack. You know I give a shit about the albums and the records that uh, these songs came from because you know I think yeah. all of these, maybe with the exception of like uh, like the Westerberg songs, <laughs> you know I have deep <laughs> admiration for a lot of these musicians and a lot of the bands and and a lot of the albums that these songs came from. I mean I love Sweet Oblivion. Obviously we love Dirt. Um, you know uh, there's a lot of these ones out there that you know I'm really really fond of. Um, so I I never 
I'll put it this way. When I go to listen to music, if I want to listen to grunge rock, I don't I don't think to myself, oh, let me go listen to the single soundtrack. Like, I, I don't do that. I think the first time I did it was uh, was yesterday when I was preparing for this yeah. podcast to listen front to back to the soundtrack. Um, so I, I don't know that I could rank it, um, you know, because that at that point, like, let me just make my own mix of like my favorite grunge songs and like call yeah. that, you know, a soundtrack to my life, you know. Yeah, it needs. It definitely needs the movie standalone. I mean, you know, the songs are all great individually, but on an album, I mean, does it flow? Does it have like the rhythm you need from an album? Um, maybe not. Right. And like I said, it it goes well with the the pictures and the video that we see. So yeah, it's a great microcosm. I would agree. It's, yeah, it's definitely hard 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 to rank. I wouldn't. I think I saw like was it Billboard or something put it like the nineteenth best grunge rock album and yeah i think that's seems, pretty disingenuous but yeah it they're not it, asking what i think about it only you are yeah yeah exactly it, i mean it doesn't it doesn't portray the stories that the al- the other albums that we like do yeah. you know it doesn't have the it's all brought together so whatever right so Ethan, that is I, what it is it is what it is uh that's what billy court that's the way it goes sometimes so uh you know now we can get back to the important things pondering the the notion that you know, is anyone ever truly single um yeah yeah so Ethan, a few yeah i would say a few notable en- entries that were displayed in the movie but not on the album <clears throat> we have three days by jane's addiction little girl by muddy waters Classic. Dig for Fire by Pixies, a radio song by R.E.M., Blue Train by John Coltrane, Family Affair by Sky and the Family Stone, and She Sells Sanctuary by The Colt, and Jinx Fuck by yeah. Tad. And yeah. I know you love She Sells Sanctuary, so I wanted to make sure that we talked oh, about yeah. that. And Tad is in there too, you know, and, and yeah. then Muddy Waters, I know you like him, them, so... Sly and the Family Stone's great too. Ethan, did you know, um, you remember the scene in the movie where I think it was um, Janet made the wrong number call and and, and called somebody and was like, oh, like it's the wrong number. The person who picked up in the film, that was Tad Doyle. (laughs) I love it. I love it. That's cool. That's really, that's that's cool that they like, you know, they Mm -hmm. put shit like that in there that... You know, you wouldn't I, I'm, I'm such know. a sucker for cameos and shit like that. And, and another one that we didn't talk about last week, um, when uh, Cliff Poncier is in the club being interviewed talk, uh, about Touch Me, I'm Dick, uh, that's actually Cameron Crowe who's interviewing him there. So, uh, you know, Cameron got a chance to talk with uh, the mighty Poncier. Uh, and another thing that we didn't mention last week, um, a lot of uh, Matt Dillon's wardrobe for the character of Cliff Poncier came directly from the wardrobe of Jeff Amon. So... There you have it. It's just there's so many so so everything is intertwined here. It's awesome. Yeah, it's very uh yeah, it's very niche. I love I, I do like the connective the connected side of the whole um the whole movie. So that I mean that's his strongest point for sure. I mean that's yeah. that's why it, it's that's why it's we're talking decent. about it. But the nice yeah, thing, Ethan is I don't think we have we're to talk about it anymore. I think that yeah, that, that just about that, that puts a pin in the Grunge Bible singles experience here. I think it does. I think we give it we gave it plenty of time. So yeah. we gave it two episodes. We I don't we we haven't we haven't given a lot of you know a lot of out. Al- we don't think we've given any albums two dedicated episodes or anything like that. So uh, singles is a hereby etched in the Grunge Bible history books. So that's that's the way it goes, right? Absolutely. Um, if you're listening, thank you, thank you very much for getting to the end of uh, the meat of the episode. Um, 
without without listeners, the show would be nothing. So please continue to do that. Uh, follow along, share this with your buddies, so then uh, you know we can grow, get get the algorithm get rolling, you know, get people seeing us, and because uh, we got some really exciting things coming up. That big things um, coming soon. Big things coming soon. Uh, next week. Next week's going to be a really good one, and, and I guess we maybe should have said at the top of the episode, but we're going to have an interview on with one of our favorite artists that we've talked about a ton, unless he backs out. But I don't think he's going to, so I feel safe saying this. <laughs> and that's uh, PD USA. Um, he has a single out and a new album coming in September. And I think, Chris, we've talked about it. We've, we've been giddy since it's, it's looking like it's come into play that um, you couldn't have asked for a better person to come on and talk. Uh, yeah. about his music career and what's going on in in the in the life of Petey. Yeah, I'm I'm really I'm really looking forward to this one. Uh Jones in for it. I'm Jones in for it. It really I'm I'm really jacked off about it. Um this uh Petey's Lean Into Life album from 2021 uh has crossed the threshold from being one of my albums of the year, one of my albums of the following year to one of my favorite albums period. Um, and it, I think it'll remain that way uh, for the rest of time. Uh, and he's got, you know, he's got a new record coming out this fall, September 22nd. So I'm really looking forward to being able to chat with him uh, about all things uh, PD universe, you know, so this is going to be really good. It's going to be a good one. Yeah, definitely tune in next week. It's going to be awesome. Yeah. And follow, follow PD and follow all the stuff he does. You probably know who we're talking about. Um, right. And maybe you don't know that he does music, but he does. So we're going to get into that next week. It's going to be awesome. We'll get into it. So uh, also at this time, I'd like to thank our producer, Drew McFadden, for all of his work behind the scenes. So when we say big things going on behind the scenes right now, that's uh, that's Drew. That's, you know, Drew's a large part of that. Um, so definitely need to give him his due. Uh, and also, you know, everyone who's listened, who's left a comment, uh, who's followed, who's shared the podcast. Um the, uh, the analytics are looking really good right now. We're starting to reach more and more people. So um, that's my favorite thing when we can share this community and get more people involved in it. Um, I think it makes everything better. Uh, and it makes it makes things super fun because that's what it's all about, you know, hearing from people, sharing experiences, sharing stories, talking about this music. So we're going to be here for a long time doing that. And um, we're here and we're able to do it. And we're hopefully able to do it for a long time because of everyone who is here with us. So thank you all very, very kindly from the bottom of my heart. So I think the last thing that we have on deck is going to be songs of the week. Well, I guess yes. we have two things we need to talk about, yeah. but songs we'll of the do week songs first. of the week first. Yeah. Yeah. And I can go first if you would like, Chris. Yeah, please. Let's, let's hear it. So this one is, I believe it's going to be the heaviest song that we've ever put on oh, the playlist. Yeah. Oh yeah. Let's I mean, hear it. It, it, it is death metal. And, um, so I was in Eugene for uh, the national championship this past weekend. Right. And when I got in, I had a long travel day. And, you know, I, 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 I flew to Atlanta and then I took a straight flight to Portland and then I drove down. When I got down, it was like, you know, 10 o'clock by the time that I finished, uh, you know, unpacking and getting ready for, you know, just being there. So everything, I needed food though. Everything was closed at the time because things just closed really early in cities like this so i went to a pizza shop the only place that was open was sliced pizza and uh i went in there and the dude was cool the pizza you know they was you know they just heated it back up and it was kind of shitty as far as like it was pretty crusty and whatnot that, that it wasn't, happens you know, it wasn't fresh yeah and it was closing time 
cold and then, pizza um, happens. So, and then like, <clears throat> so I, I believe maybe it closed at 11, I think, or maybe it was, t- I think I think I got out after 10, everything was closed except this place, closed at 11. Right. And then 11, as soon as 11 o'clock hit, the guy went back to the, uh, the, the auxiliary cord, you know, they were just playing music on, and he put this song on. And it was just like, it went from like, we were like listening to some rap and stuff. And then I went to this song called I Will Return by the Black Dolly Murder. And it has this like extreme, like kind of pulsing guitar to start it. And then it just gets, and, and like, it like makes you really want to like head, like the pits opening up. And then it just goes like crazy. And it's just, it's really heavy. And I was, I had to go up and I was like, yo, I was like, what, you know, what's what song? I had to tell him after I was like, I was like, I'm going to buy it, you know, I'll buy a drink now. And, and I'll, so I can tip you because I, I like the song. And I was like, what is it? And, and so he started telling me, he had to tell me the name like four different times. And <laughs> I still like kind of forgot it. But yeah. luckily he had, sh- he showed me on his, his phone. So I knew what album artwork to look for. Right. And uh, yeah, the ba- the Black Dal- Dahlia Murder. And it was like, an- and he told me to listen to another band called Thy Art is Murder. So I was getting him confused. A lot of murder was, going was, on here. A lot, a lot of, of murders. Yeah, dude. So it's really heavy, but I was kind of uh, I wanted to be in that the heavy mindset. So um, yeah, it's it's crazy, but it's got it's got good instrumentals. At the end of the day, the, the death metal and the stuff like those guys can you know shred and the shredders, man. Yeah, they can actually rip. So that's sick. I'm gonna put that on there for some fun. Yeah, that's gonna be a really good one. All right, what do you got, Chris? Well, uh, I'm gonna keep it short and sweet. No frills. Uh, we spoke about it a lot. Uh, my song of the week is going to be "Nearly Lost You" by the Screaming Trees. Um, I'm gonna include that here. Um, so that's really all I have to say about that. So two good entries for songs of the week. Um, yet another quality, hopefully quality podcast in the books. Uh, and as we leave you, Ethan, it, there, the, there's a saying, right? The good things come in threes, or is that bad things? Probably both. I don't know. All right. Well, well, good. In this Can't case, remember. good things are coming in threes. So for the third week in a row, um, we are going to close out our episode with more from the Social Act Band. Uh, we've been talking about them the last couple of weeks. We've been posting about them on the Instagram page on Mondays. Um, as we've mentioned, uh, the Social Act Band, uh, really, really great guys. They're from Chicago. Um, they've been around forever. Uh, great personal friends of ours, uh, and they've got a really killer double album coming out later this year. Um, so you know, without further ado, we're gonna have to send them off with some more social act band today ethan what do you think i think it's a great idea um i always listen back to the uh the podcast on monday like all of our listeners do i'll put it on and we got to the end and um hey yeah trash can came on and it was a you know beautiful beautiful finish and you know i I just enjoy listening to the guys play and 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 just you know show why they love music so Mm -hmm. much so um please uh stick around and take a listen and go check out their youtube and their instagram page because um, that's where we're going to find all the updates and, you know, get more music from them. So, yeah, man. And I have to say uh, the one thing, like the most badass part about this podcast, uh, I love the way this is probably not a complicated technique, um, but like when the episode's closing out and Drew starts the song at the end, it's so fucking sick because like we're still talking a little bit. I feel like I'm on the radio. It's awesome. Oh yeah, dude. Close this out with some music. I I do love that too. And I, that's why I like putting songs at the end of the the podcast if all possible. I mean, yeah, it's fun. We just got to get on some people's white lists, some allow lists so we can play it royalty free. Exactly. And, um, you know, so the, the act has given us permission. So, um, without further ado, please enjoy more of the social act and we will be back same time, same place next week. 
All right, everyone, enjoy. We'll talk to you next week. Take it easy, everyone. Here is the Social Act Band. Yeah.